Anyway, all right. Um, today we're going to be uh, looking at the, the history of the kingdom of God. It's in our series, The Kingdom of God, and that grew out of coming from some things that we looked at on um, Palm Sunday and then Easter Sunday. Uh, I'll just tell you, I, I, do, I do want to go back to the simpler days when I was just dealing with a couple of verses, but uh, there's going to be a lot going on here, and, and I, I don't say that to, to have you be concerned, but just to, to be ready. Um, but as we take a look at that, our goal last week was to identify um, some fundamental aspects of the kingdom of God. And when we read about the kingdom of God, particularly in the gospel, several elements uh, uh, seem to be even what we would call contradictory. And I'm just going to give you that list again that we had last week. The kingdom of God is future. The kingdom of God is now. The kingdom of God is spiritual. The kingdom of God is physical. And the kingdom of God is forever. Amen. And what we basically talked about in relation to these things is that each aspect is designed to emphasize an element of God's kingdom, and they all coexist without contradicting one another. We will best interpret kingdom passages when we observe how the kingdom is being emphasized in each of their context. Now, some of last week's application points, I just want to get back to. I've rewritten them just a little bit, but, but I want to I um, use these as, again, kind of, kind of a launching pad for, for this week. The kingdom of God is future, it's literal, and it's a physical place that is going to actually take place someday. But the kingdom of God is present, and it's a present spiritual state of all who are in Christ. And so, you know, the Lord said, the kingdom of God is, is, is among you. So we are in the kingdom, but it isn't complete yet. And that completion is what we're talking about when it's that literal, physical uh, thing that takes place when Christ is king. Now, although God's kingdom is a future physical place, everyone there has been spiritually made alive by God through Christ. Therefore, it is very much a spiritual kingdom too, okay? So it's not just, you know, this castle and this city and this realm, right? But there is a spiritual aspect to it. And the only ones that are there are a part of, of Christ. And we'll see again some of that even today. God established his kingdom with man when God the Son came down and gave his life so that those who believe in him will take part in his kingdom. The kingdom of God will be made complete at the resurrection of the dead as promised and guaranteed by Christ's resurrection. Remember, we, we said this several times now in past studies, he is the first fruits or the first to come. And then eventually all who are in Christ will be raised and we will be uh, whole bodily. The kingdom of God is also an everlasting kingdom. It's never going to end. So we should live our life as if we are part of the kingdom of God because we are in God's kingdom. We are simply waiting for the resurrection when everything is made complete. So now what I want to do is examine the history of the kingdom of God and the desire to do that is so that we can just get a, a better idea of, of uh, where all of this came from, but also see the consistency in the Word of God. Now, as we do this, we're going to look at a number of Bible passages and characters. However, we are, we are going to keep focus on the kingdom and not necessarily all the sorry, can't say that. circumstances surrounding the kingdom texts. Okay? In other words, there's going to be some details that we can't cover today. All right? So try not to get caught up in some of those things, but look at the pattern that we're going to be seeing. And the first that we see here is the, the patriarchs in the kingdom of God. Now, patriarch simply means forefather or male head of each generation. Um, the Old Testament patriarchs include Abraham through Jacob's sons. That's kind of how they're designated. Um, that's not necessarily how it's always used just as the word, but that's how it's used in Scripture. So the patriarchs, at least as far as how, how they're designated in history, is Abraham all the way through, again, Jacob or Israel's sons. So what I want to first look at is Abraham and the Abrahamic covenant. Uh, I have a verse for you that we have probably read 
uh, before, but Genesis 12, 1 through 3 says, Now the Lord said to Abram, that was before his name was changed to Abraham, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, uh, you might notice that they're a little color-coded up there. And what I want you to see is there's a pattern. There's a pattern of land, seed, and blessing. Now, again, we've talked about this before, but, but here's, here's the way I'm looking at this. Part of my, my purpose in, in trying to, to discuss this is I know that some of us, we've got this down, right? You know, everything I'm going to tell you is going to be review. But maybe some of us don't, and it could be for age, and it could just be, you know, this is not something that we've gone through in, in church. Either way, it's something that we can and should glean from and apply to our lives, and we'll see how that goes. So here we have um, Abraham promised a specific land, a seed or offspring, and then blessing, all right? Now I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 17, because Abraham was, was, um, had this repeated to him multiple times. This was the first time when he was actually called out of the land of Ur, which, which is, is right around uh, Iraq area. And then he followed the Fertile Crescent, which a lot of people believe. And then he ended up in what we would call the land of Canaan or Israel today. Okay, So that that's, was his trajectory, and that was the land that God said that he would give him. And so Genesis chapter 17, let me read for you verses 1 through 9. This is obviously a little bit later on. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God, walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. Now, how old was Abram at this time? 99, okay. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. And I will give you and your descendants after you the land which you are stranger, which you are stranger, all the lands of Canaan as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abram, Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. Now, if you take a look at that, we had those same elements in there, right? But this promise was given to Abraham before he had a child. You and your descendants. And so this was the struggle that Abraham had with all of this is, you know, I don't have a child yet, right? And, then, and so that was the struggle he was having. But he, the scriptures tell us later on that he did believe God. Okay, and it was credited to him for righteousness. We, we see that confirmed in the New Testament. But I want to read one more passage in Genesis 22, verses 15 through 18. It says this, and the angel of the Lord. Now, just very quickly, when, it, when it's titled like this, the angel of the Lord, and, and in the, contextually it's used this way, you'll see how it works. Um, it's just plain, plain English, in uh, obviously our version. But this is the pre-incarnate, the pre-bodily Christ that has come to him. And so this is what's really cool. The descendant is telling the originator, I'm coming. <laughs> right? I mean, right? And so anyway, here we go. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord. Because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. We're going to stop right here. This is the second time that he spoke to, to Abraham when he sacrificed his only son, Isaac. So the son had now come. And God said, I want you to sacrifice him to me. Now that was a test. Okay, so it goes on. 
your only son, blessing, I will bless you and multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Wow. So prior to this, we had God speaking to him. Now we have the Lord speaking to him. But it's the angel of the Lord, the messenger of the Lord, who is saying, by myself, I, I am going to do this, right? So all of this coming down, that we have these same three elements, we have Abraham uh, told that these three elements are going to be a part of his life every time, and that he was not only going to have a child, but because he gave his child to the Lord, that God and obviously he already knew, but had proven his faith, okay? So now he says, I'm going to bless you with all these things. Well, Isaac's story is next. And what I've always been a little bit uh, curious about is why Isaac's story is so short, but it is. Um, A lot of what Isaac's story is about is actually while Abraham's still alive, okay? But there's not a whole lot said about him, but there are some important things that are said. Of course, we know that he was the firstborn son of Abraham, and he was the child of promise. He was the one that was promised to them in their old age. But we see the covenant reiterated to Isaac, and that's in Genesis 26, 3 through 5. Okay? Dwell in this land, and I will be with you and, and bless you, for to you and your descendants... I will give all these lands and I'll perform the oath which I swore to Abraham, your father. All right? That's cool. I mean, that is, that is tremendous. The, the same promise that I gave him is now yours. And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of the heaven. I will give your descendants all these lands. And in your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So again, we now have this confirmed with Isaac, firstborn son of Abraham. This then transitions over to Jacob. As the birth of Esau and Jacob approached, God told Isaac that the older would serve the younger. It says here in Genesis 25, 23, And the Lord said to Rebekah, of course that was Isaac too, uh, Two nations are in your womb. She was having trouble. She was, her, her, you know, basically her belly was alive. These guys are going at it. <laughs> two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One shall be stronger than the other. And the older shall serve the younger. Okay? This is kind of cool. Just keep this in mind. Genesis 25, 29 through 34 say this. I know it's a little small, but I want you to see this. Now Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau came in from the field. Now Esau is firstborn, right? He's oldest. Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau came to Jacob. Please feed me with that red stew, for I am weary. Therefore his name was called Edom, and Edom simply means red, and then The nation of Edom is what came out of him. But Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. Now, I didn't just get fancy with the stuff here, okay? I I actually put all three colors in there that represent land, seed, and blessing because that was the birthright that was going to be passed on. Esau was firstborn. He was to receive the birthright. This was something that father would pass on to the firstborn son. And based on what we've already seen from Abraham and now to Isaac, Esau should have received that same land, seed, and blessing promise. So that's what's contained in this. So then it goes on. And Esau said, look, I'm about to die. So what is this birthright to me? And then Jacob said, swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. Then he ate and drank, rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. 
To despise basically means to consider nothing. That, that's, that's when, when you despise someone, psh, you're worthless, right? That is how um, Esau considered this birthright. Now, some speculate that he was thinking this way because it was so far off and he was never going to participate in it. I, I don't believe that. I, I believe that Esau was just simply a very self-absorbed man. Uh, he, he, was, he was a self-made man. He was a man of the woods and, and the, the, the wilderness and stuff. And he was going to go out and he was going to get his, you know, venison and bring it back and, you know, all those other kind of things. And he was just, you know, he's a tough guy. And so as he looked at this contract, so to speak, at what he was supposed to receive, he was like, nah. I'd rather have a bowl of soup. That's Esau's price for his birthright right there. A bowl of red lentil soup. <laughs> That's a, no wonder why God rejected him, right? But remember, this decision was already made prior to. And so I don't want to get too caught up in this, but the whole point is, is that it doesn't matter what people are doing. God's will is going to be done anyway. God already determined this, even though somehow people tried to mess it up, okay? So then what we have coming up next is from Genesis 27, verse 27 to 29. And Isaac came near and kissed Jacob, and he smelled the smell of his clothing and blessed him and said, and we're going to stop right there for just a minute. This was the occasion where um, Jacob was going to bless his sons, right? I'm sorry. Isaac was going to bless his sons. I got it. Isaac was going to bless a lot of names. <laughs> I got more. Isaac was going to bless his sons. And he was still intending to bless Esau, who was his favorite. But Rebecca heard about it. And so she's like, hey, son number two, come here. We, we don't, we, we got to get in on this. You're, you're going to miss the blessing. Right? So he dressed up like Esau. And it fooled his blind father. So it goes on. Surely the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Therefore, may God give you of the dew of the heaven, of the fatness of the earth, and the plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren. And let your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Wow. So we have a situation here now where Isaac confirms, right, his blessing on Jacob. I'm sorry, he blesses him. Then he confirms his blessing on Jacob in Genesis 28. Look at this. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply that you may be an assembly of peoples. And give you the blessing of Abraham. You see that key phrase there? Now we have a third generation, right? Second generation from Abraham, but three generations with the same blessing. To you and your descendants with you, that you may inherit the land which, which you are a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. And then we see the Lord confirming this covenant. I know these are small words, but I wanted you to see not just read. Genesis 28, 11 through 15. So Jacob came to a certain place and stayed there all night. This is um, obviously when he was now coming back. This time has passed um, because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it on his head. And he lay down in that place to sleep. And then he dreamed and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were descending, ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father. This is now coming from God himself. The same words. And the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give you, you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east and to the north and the south. And you and in, in you and your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You see that phrase again? Let's keep that in mind. 
Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Now, I know we're seeing kind of the same thing over and over again. And folks, that's the point. This is the promise that God gave Abraham. And he's continuing this promise. Now, after this, just for a little bit, it's going to change. The message is going to change slightly only because this has already been established. But we're still in the patriarchs, right? We have one more left. A man by the name of Judah. And Judah was Jacob's, one of Jacob's sons, right? So he was one of the 12 that became the 12 tribes. So at the end of his life, Jacob, who was renamed Israel, prophetically blesses his son. So here's what he says to Jacob as he calls the sons together. I'm sorry, first he calls them together. And Jacob called his sons and said, Gather together that I may tell you what shall befall you in the last days. Gather together and hear, you sons of Jacob, and listen to Israel, your father. So he even calls himself both names, right? So then what does he tell them? Genesis 49, 8 through 10. Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies, and your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone out. He bows, he bows down, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion, who shall rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. Now, Shiloh here means peace, but it's clearly, a, and clearly in the passage, it is referring to a him, a person. And this is referring to the Messiah that is to come. So we still have this idea of seed or descendant because the scepter has to do with him being in control. He's going to be the leader, right? So what I want us to do is I want us to look at First uh, Chronicles chapter 5. Chronicles, uh, it's, it's, it's like what we think of when we think of a of, um, you know, like a newspaper sometimes is called, you know, like, you know, the, the whatever chronicle, right? And it's, it's, a, it's a record. That's really all it's talking about. And so the chronicler or the recorder of Israel's history is writing all of this down. Um, there's a variety of dates given for the writing of this book, um, but there's no date in the book and there's no reference, Right? So a lot of people believe that, that uh, well, we know that he's looking back, but a lot of people believe that this was either during or just after the children of Israel came back from being taken to Babylon, okay? So this, this was when they returned back. So they, they call that or post-exile, post-exilic, all right? And that was when this was recorded. So as he's recording this, he recognizes Reuben as Jacob's physical firstborn, right? Let's take a look at this. Now the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, he was indeed the firstborn, but because he defiled his father's bed, his birthright was given to the sons of Joseph, the son of Israel. So that the genealogy is not listed according to the birthright. Yet Judah prevailed over his brothers, and from him came a ruler, although the birthright was Joseph's. So here's a guy looking back on what actually happened. What does he say? He's first of all, Reuben was supposed to get the birthright. Why? He was firstborn. He was Leah's firstborn. Okay? One of Jacob's two wives. He did something bad we're not going to go into a lot of detail about, but it was really bad. And his dad said, you're done. Okay? So his dad confers the birthright to Joseph. Joseph was firstborn of Rachel. But <laughs> just like was said about Judah, right? He ends up being the one who has the scepter. That's, that means he's ruling. He's the one who is recognized as the leader and he actually is in the genealogy. And I want you to see this. Because it's in Chronicles. 
Chronicles uh, chapters 1 and 2, 128 says the sons of Abraham were Isaac and Ishmael. Okay, we know that. Verse 24 says, and Abraham begat Isaac. The sons of Isaac were Esau and Israel, or Jacob. And then in chapter 2, it says, verses 1 through 3, these are the sons of Israel, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Dan, Joseph, Benjamin. We're just going to keep on going. Naphtali, Gad, and Asher, the sons of Judah were. And he goes on. Whoa. Now, don't get me wrong. There's others that are talked about in different places much earlier. But when we're talking about the official genealogy, Judah is inserted. Why? Because that's what the Lord said was going to happen. Judah is also in Jesus' genealogies in Matthew and Luke. He's the son who's in there. All right? So let's, let's think about this. Abraham was given an everlasting covenant. The scripture said kings would come from him. Isaac inherits his father's covenant, and he's told, you're going to have a seed that comes from you, right? You're going to have descendants. Jacob inherits his father's covenant, and he's told, you are going to have a seed. And then Judah, you folks are smart, he inherits his father's covenant, and he's given the scepter. We see that not only told as it's happening, but then we see that as someone looks back historically and recognizes, even with the the Spirit of God working on him for what he's going to record, he specifically states, Judah, even though he didn't have the birthright, Judah is the one who is recognized as the one that the line is coming from. Just like his father said would happen. I just think that's pretty cool stuff, folks. Now, I got a purpose in doing all this, but we're not done yet because we need to talk about King David. We read about King David in 2 Samuel 7. That was our scripture reading today. The passage is divided into two parts, what God said to David through Nathan the prophet and David's response. This passage is is so key that I do want to read it again. Now, we're going to start just a little bit earlier in the text because I want to, I want to um, kind of bring a little bit more of that in. But I want to remind us that what led up to this was the Lord revealing all of this to David was his desire, David's desire, to build a permanent house for the Lord. He, he wanted to build what became known as the temple instead of this tent, this tabernacle. Well, Nathan thought it was a great idea, Nathan the prophet, and he encouraged David to do it. But the Lord had other plans, and he told David through Nathan not to build it. Instead, he chose this time, that's the Lord, chose this time to let David in on his plans for him. So we're going to start with what God says about David and the kingdom. So we're going to, if you're you're there already, we're going to look at 2 Samuel 7 again. But we're going to start back in verse 1. I know this is a decent amount of reading, but now that you've seen all this stuff coming back from Abraham, let's take a look at this now in that context of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Judah. Obviously, some time has passed. We've had the judges. We've had Saul's terrible reign. Uh, We've had the children of Israel, obviously, even coming out of the land of Egypt and all those other things. But all this comes down to um, right here, now it came to pass when the king was dwelling in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies all around. And the king said to Nathan, the prophet, see now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells inside tent curtains. Then Nathan said to the king, go do all that is in your heart for the Lord is with you. But it happened that night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build a house for me to dwell in? For I have not dwelt in a house since the, since the time that I brought the children of Israel up from Egypt, even to this day. But I have moved about in a tent and in a tabernacle. In all the places where I have walked with all the children of Israel, have I ever spoken a word to anyone from the tribes of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? 
Now therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people, over Israel. All right? Folks, humble beginnings, right? <laughs> David's a nobody. And I have been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all your enemies from before you and have made you a great name like the name of the great men who are on the earth. Moreover, on top of that, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more, nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously. Since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused you to rest from all your enemies, also the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will uh, chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. Now, I think we've established all this. Now, let me just let me just tell you this real quick. We have the same elements here that we've seen in every covenant. The same elements. Now, the one thing I want to clear up here is this. There is a prophetic element to this, obviously. He's talking about Solomon. He's talking about all of his descendants. But there is this idea of the coming Messiah here as well. Now, some people look at that and they're like, eh, yeah, we have to remember Eastern prophecy, it, it, it can be loaded with different things. And some of it can be like now and some of it can be later. So when we look at here and it says, um, I will be his father and he shall be my son. We, we know that there's a time when God says that about the son of God himself, right? But then it says, if he commits iniquity, that is not a prophecy about Christ, okay? That's now talking about the kings that are going to be coming through. So here's the point. There is this unconditional, it's going to happen thing. But some of these kings, some of these descendants may opt out of the blessings. And they did some of them, okay? So that's kind of how we're moving through the rest of history here as we move toward the Messiah. All right. We good so far? No, no one's brain is leaking at this point like mine is? Okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> so now we're going to see David's response. Okay. Verse 18. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord. Now, folks, I, I just like that. Okay. He, he, he went, he went to, to get as close to God as he possibly could. All right. Remember, the Lord is still dwelling in that tabernacle. All right. So he goes in and he gets as close to the Lord as he can. And he just spends time with him. And he said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your sight, O Lord God. And you have also spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come. Is this the manner of man, O Lord God? Now, this particular translation is not necessarily the best from what I've been able to study. This, this is really more of a statement as opposed to a question. And what he's saying is, this is how you're dealing with man. Folks, this goes back to when he said, and in you, all the nations will be blessed. That was conferred, that was first given to Abraham. It was conferred down through. And now David understands that he is in that same line. Right. Now, what more can David say to you? For you, O Lord God, know your servant. For your word's sake and according to your own heart, you have done all these things to make your servant know them. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, nor is there any God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people, like Israel, 
The one nation on the earth whom God went to redeem for himself as a people, to make for himself a name, and to do for you great and awesome deeds for your land, before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, from the nations and from their gods. Now, pause here just a minute. He goes all the way back to the redemption, right, of Israel. When God brought his people out of slavery, perfect picture of what Christ does for us. But, but understand this. He's talking about the awesome task that was. On a human scale, we have the superpower in the world at the time. We have a completely dependent people that are enslaved. They don't have any weapons that miraculously walk out of the greatest nation on earth at the time. And if you remember, God said, and when you leave, you are going to spoil the Egyptians. What that meant was not, you know, oh, you want ice cream? I'll give you an ice cream. No, it's, that meant that they were going to take the spoils. And as they were leaving, the Egyptians were showering them with their earrings and their necklaces and, and their, cuffling, their, their, their cuffs and all these other things. They were showering them with gold and silver and precious stones. Please, leave. <laughs> Go. You're killing us. Right? Well, it wasn't them. Verse 24. For you have made your people Israel your very own people forever. And you, Lord, have become their God. And now, O Lord God, the word which you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, establish it forever and do as you said. So let your name be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is the God over Israel. And let the house of your servant David be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore your servant found it in his heart to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are true, and you have promised this goodness to your servant. Now, therefore, let it please you to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken it, and with your blessing, let the house of your servant be blessed forever. Now, again, just real quick, just to briefly mention David's character here. David did not go out into the house that he already had and open up the doors, right, and call all the people and say, hey, guess what God just said to me? Listen, all of you plebes, I'm going to tell you how great and wonderful I am and what God is going to do for me and through me. No. Constantly, David is saying, you are God. You are great. Who am I? <laughs> I don't get it. So we can't move on without recognizing that, that David, you know, he, he is overwhelmed by this. You can tell that. God's proclamation was just beyond what he would have ever dreamed. And he knew it was something that he did not deserve, right? He knew this was God's grace in his life. There's another slide I want us to look at, or a slide I want us to look at. Um, and it's Second uh, Samuel. Oh, oh, sorry, I meant to do this before. I apologize. I got all reading here. Just real quick, I want to show you the highlights here. I got ahead of myself. Uh, in the beginning, we're just going to skip this part. Okay, Second Samuel seven. What we just read. Just a couple highlights. For you have made your people Israel your very own people forever, and you, Lord, have become their God. Now, O Lord God, the word which you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, establish it forever. You see here that he's talking about what? He's talking about the descendants. But then he goes on to say, and now, Lord God, you are God and your words are true and you have promised this goodness to your servant. Now, therefore, let it please you to bless the house of your servant. And then he talks about again, blessing him forever. So we have this element of blessing. Now, I could pull out the, the land here as well. Like, God mentioned the land, but, but the point is the same elements of the covenant are here. This is nothing new, but yet it's new to David. He is the one who is now going to be receiving this, all right? And just one quick note, 
In Psalm 89, verse 27, it says, And also I will make David my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. Now, I mention that because something really kind of odd happens through this history that we're looking at. The lineage of the kingdom. Okay, You start off with Abraham. Abraham wasn't firstborn, secondborn, whatever. Abraham was Abraham. God chose him. God says, I want you and I want you to move. And by faith, I want you to move and I want you to know that I've got a land coming your direction. Fantastic. Isaac was Abraham's firstborn. We know that. He was the, the, the son of promise. Now you say, wait a minute, there was Ishmael. No, he was Rachel's firstborn. Okay, I didn't get there. Sarah's firstborn. Sorry, like I said, lots, lots of, anyway. Okay, next, Jacob, the secondborn, but the firstborn. We studied this, we caught this, right? Esau was first, mm-mm. The older is going to serve the younger. And oh, by the way, uh, he didn't get it right, but Esau gave it to him. Dad conferred it on him, and then God reaffirmed it. Then we have Judah. Judah's fourthborn, but he's firstborn. (laughs) How does that work? It wasn't Reuben. Even though he had the birthright, that was taken away from him. It was given to Joseph, firstborn of Rachel. But that didn't stick because it was prophesied that it was Judah. And then we have David, eighthborn. (laughs) But we just read that he's firstborn. So ultimately, what we're talking about is position. So even when we talk about Jesus being firstborn, there is no no wife of God the Father. Okay, we are talking about the pre-existent God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. But we have the Son who is firstborn in position. So none of this, as far as descendant, is concerned as far as birth order as much as what God's plan is. And this is what's interesting. And I, I, I'm not trying to make it sound like, you know, it, it, like it goes 2, 4, 8, you know, it, it multiplies. I don't, I'm not trying to be a numbers guy here. What I'm trying to show you is this, is that as they went down the line, and of course, Judah and David, there's a big jump. But as they went down the line, it got farther and farther away from this real, pure firstborn. It, it was really more and more about the spiritual to where we get to David and we see a very detailed covenant. Very detailed. And it was very much a spiritual thing that God was... Now, don't get me wrong. It was real, right? And they enjoyed some of that covenant even temporally at that time. But it's ultimately going to be a forever thing. All right? So... Here we are with the same thing. It's forever, but it's now. It's future, but it's now. It's spiritual, but it's physical. It's still all encompassing this. And so now we move forward with this. One last thing. We're going to look at the prophets and the kingdom of God. I guess I got to tell you, this stuff's wild. I mean, it's just God's plan's awesome. Isaiah 9 verses 6 and 7 says this, For unto us a child is born. Remember this verse? And unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Wait a minute, this child that's born is Everlasting Father? I think we can safely say, as we know, this is God himself. This is God the Son, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from the, this time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Folks, that last phrase is awesome, that last line. It, it, it's God's excitement for this that's going to drive this. So the coming Christ 
would be the one to fulfill the promise of David and institute the everlasting kingdom. And he's going to come as a child. If we move forward a little bit more to Isaiah 11, it says this, verses 1 and 2, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. Uh, I, I know you know this. Who was David's dad? Oh, okay, okay. And a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. I, I really think that this was also partly um, a fulfillment of what uh, was said about Judah, that he would always have a ruler, okay? So anyway, it's, it's pretty interesting. So, so that just kind of gives us the character of the Messiah. Then Isaiah 11, just a little bit later on down the passage, verses 10 and 12. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, okay? Same idea, same language being given, who shall stand as a banner to the people, for the Gentiles shall seek him. And his resting place shall be glorious. It shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand against the second time to recover the remnant of his people who are left. From Assyria and Egypt, from Pathros and Cush, from Elam and Shinar, from Hamath and the islands of the sea, he will set up a banner for the nations and will assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. So let me just give you just a very quick explanation here. All of these different locations are basically, if you just take arrows, you're just going all different directions away from Israel. It's all the different places that God's people have been scattered. The banner here is the idea of, of rallying flag, okay? And so Christ, the root of Jesse, sets his banner up, and everybody then rallies around him. Well, who is it? It's his people. But his people include the Gentiles. Again, this is a prophecy of what's going to take place. So the Messiah's kingdom, he's coming from David, obviously, but we have Jews and, and Gentiles that will come and be a part of this. Now we're going to go to Jeremiah chapter 23. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which you will, by he will be called the Lord our righteousness. Wow. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that they shall no longer say, as the Lord lives who brought us up from the land of Israel, brought, brought up the children of the land of I can't speak today, of the land of Israel from the land of Egypt. Okay, that's not going to be the reference point anymore. But as the Lord lives who brought up and led the descendants of the house of Israel from the north country and from all the countries where I had driven them, and they shall dwell in their own land. What do you say? This is awesome. All right? Turn to Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel 37. We're just kind of pressing right through here. Now, this is too big of a passage to put up on the screen, but uh, just kind of mark those little colors off in your mind as we go through this, okay? Ezekiel 37, beginning in verse 21. Ezekiel 7, verse 21. I can tell by the rustling that's not a book we normally go to. <laughs> then say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Surely I will take the children of Israel from among the nations, wherever they have gone, and will gather them from every side and bring them to their own land. And I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be king over them all. They shall no longer be two nations, nor shall they ever be divided into two nations again. They shall not defile themselves anymore with their idols, nor with their detestable things, nor with any of their transgressions. But I will deliver them from all their dwelling places in which they have sinned and will cleanse them. Then they shall be my people and I will be their God. Now let me just pause here just for a minute. Would you characterize Israel as one that has cleansed themselves from all wickedness? Present day Israel. Okay, so the nation of Israel has been reestablished, but not like this yet. 
Okay, let's keep on going. David, my servant, shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. They shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. Now, we're going to go on here. Is he talking about the literal David who died? No, he's talking about the one who's going to come in David's stead. The one these other prophecies are talking about. The one that David was told about. And it goes on. Then they shall dwell in the land, and I will have given to Jacob my servant where your fathers dwelt, and they shall dwell there, they, their children, and their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. I will establish them and multiply them, and I will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. My tabernacle also shall be with them. Indeed, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now look at this. The nations also will know that I, the Lord, sanctify Israel, whom my sanctuary is in the midst, in their midst forever. Okay. Again, we have those same elements of the covenant now being prophesied about this future kingdom. Oh, lots going on here. Okay. So Jeremiah foretells, I'm sorry, Ezekiel uh, said all those things. Now, uh, next week, <laughs> you have your outline there. We're going to look at Jesus, King of Kings. Okay? I know some of you are like, you know, oh man, he's still going. Okay, don't panic. Don't panic. I, I, I kind of was a little too optimistic about what we could or maybe even should cover. So we're going to cover the King of Kings, Jesus, next week. Okay? Uh, we we kind of have probably information overload here. Um, now, we are going to barely, t barely touch on this a little bit as we make application. But considering Christ next week is actually going to work beautifully with what we have left. All right? So, we looked at the patriarchs, we looked at David, we looked at the prophets, all related to the kingdom. So, what do we, what do we want to uh, bring out of this? It's great to have an in-depth study, but I always want to leave us with something practical to take from this something for everyday christian living just to kind of have these facts in our mind okay that's good now some subjects may not make that possible on any given week but i do think that this does this very historical look at a foundational subject provides some significant takeaways there are some things that we can and should take away now the first one is kind of a broader look at scripture Actually, many of these things I want to look at. We're looking at macro stuff here, right? It's a subject, but it's, it's, it's covering everything, all right? So I've called this the pulse of God's plan. I can't, I can't credit anybody because I'm not sure they should be getting credit for this, okay? I'm, I'm trying, okay? But I just want you to see something that I feel I'm observing in the Word of God, all right? We start with Adam. One person. And the reason why I chose that sideways triangle is because we go from Adam and then, boom, we have this explosion of people until what happens? The flood. One individual, one faithful individual, Noah. Then another explosion of people. Okay? Until we come to one man that, Abraham, that God called Abraham. We have Abraham, then his nation explodes, right? It didn't start off that way. It was Abraham, then Isaac. It was pretty thin, okay? But then later on, we see that we go through the time where they're in Egypt and they grow to hundreds of thousands of people. They come out of there. They go, eventually, after disobedience, go into their land. The, the, judges, the time of judges is after that. Then the kingdom is established. Saul fails. Then we come to David. Again, everything is brought to one point because the Abrahamic covenant is really being reiterated. This whole idea of I am going to bless you specifically and now he's given something even more specific that someone from him is going to reign. Okay? And then we see that all this time comes to pass, and then boom, one person, Jesus. 
changes the world. All right? Now, we know that he's the center of all of this, but the point is, it's, it's kind of this pace that God does. Now, we can insert more of these things, and we can even insert later on, you have, bam, Paul, one person. And then the gospel goes out to the nations, right? Not that others didn't hear, but he really was the, 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 the focal point there of the gospel going out. He was the apostle to the, to the Gentiles. And so you can see this in di- different places, all right? This is just kind of a, a, a big picture exercise. Here's my point in all this. God's got a big plan, and he's got a lot of people involved in it, but he never loses sight of the individual. He never loses sight of the individual. And we can be blessed by that. Now, there's also this idea that we have all of Scripture, right? And then there are, um, and, and, and with, within that, we, we have his will and his plan. Then there are these prophecies that come up, okay? Prophecy here, prophecy there. Um, could be about something that happens immediately. Could be something that happens in the future. More prophecies, lots of prophecies, Okay. <laughs> Those are little, those are little uh, uh, speech bubbles, by the way, in case you can't see that. That's the best I could do. Sorry, I'm focusing. They were all part of God's will, but they aren't necessarily all related or dependent upon one another. They can involve different things. An example is there are many past-fulfilled prophecies and even future-fulfilled prophecies that don't involve us, Right? We can't take on some of the things that God said to individuals in the Old Testament or even the children of Israel, Right? One of the problems that we had in this country was, you know, that, that manifest destiny, right? Um, God gave the people of Israel a land. He gave us this land. We can destroy our enemies and take our land that God has given to us. Now, don't get me wrong. People have been doing that for ever since there have been people. We just happen to have justified it in the name of God for the most part, okay? Not right, okay? There are lots of other examples to that, okay? But here's the point. Not all of these prophecies interrelate. What I want you to do is I want you to take a look at this again. All of Scripture. There is a theme in Scripture that may not encompass all everything about scripture but it's still the main theme and the main theme is the promise plan of god i want to give credit to walter kaiser he's an old testament expert i mean this guy's amazing i love his books um they hurt my head but i love his books but he he pretty much came up with this phrase the promise plan so the kingdom of god isn't just a mishmash of random predictions Okay, we have God's will, we have God's plan, but within that, we have threaded throughout this promised plan. It is a sovereign, God's purposeful, deliberate, and gracious plan to redeem a specific people for his glory and for their eternal blessing. In fact, I want to stretch us a little further, remind us that what took place when man sinned in the garden. As part of the curse on the serpent, God revealed his promised plan even back in Genesis. And I would enmity, <laughs> one of those words, enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. In other words, you're going to be enemies. You're going to be against one another. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That word bruise there for head is crush. Okay? In other words, the seed of the woman is going to be victorious. We know that this is part of the promised plan of God, of Christ, of his kingdom, of his forever kingdom. So we'll talk more about this plan next week as we integrate the kingdom of Christ. But today what I want us to see is God has a plan and is still fulfilling that plan. This is a plan that he set in place even when Man and woman sinned, like right from the beginning. Amen. He set this in place. And what's, what's the other book in, folks? 
It's Christ reigning in heaven. That's the other bookend. That's the very end. What we looked at this morning took place over centuries. Centuries, folks. I, I, I don't, I want us to, to really look at this like David did. He was in awe. He was overwhelmed. He's like, why would you do this for me? Well, now let's look back and say, look at this amazing, massive plan of God and all that he did, which I will go back and say and echo what David said, it was nothing to him. He's the all-powerful one. But we look back and say, how did it all happen? <laughs> how did it happen? This, this little postage stamp of a country. How is all this taking place? And then I also want us to remember, God told us in advance that the coming kingdom would include the Gentiles who have faith in his son. Multiple times we saw punctuated there that this kingdom, that this plan, that this coming Messiah would be a blessing to the nations. That blessing is God's grace. That blessing is salvation. And we're going to look at that more of that next week and see how all this fits together. So folks, I know maybe a little technical this morning. I'm not apologizing for that. I'm trying to explain that what we saw was through the very beginning, a lot of our time was in Genesis. And then boom, we're right, right in the beginning of the kingdom. And then we see the prophets go throughout. I mean, this was sprinkled throughout all of Israel's history. This plan. And it's not done yet. It threads right through the New Testament until Christ comes back. And it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus and it's all about his people. Folks, here's, here's the thing. One of the scriptures told us that the, the, the Gentiles would, would rally to him as well. All right. Now, Jesus later on said that he would call them, right? That God the Father is the one who brings them. So here's my point. I don't know how all this human and divine cooperative works, but it's a plan. It looks really complex, right? All the moving parts and pieces, but really it's about this. God has a place for us. God has a person for us in Christ, and God's going to bless us. It's just that simple. Do you know Christ as your Savior? Do, do you have a place waiting for you when this life is over? He, he is the Lord of righteousness. So we need to come to him in a righteous fashion, but we can't. We have to take on his righteousness. Amen. We have to trust that what he did for us on the cross gives us what we need to be with him forever. Right. If you don't know him today, I just want to encourage you. Do what the scriptures told us there. Rally around the banner of Christ. R rally around Come to him, place your faith completely and wholly in what Jesus ultimately came and did. Everything that was said about him, all of this goes to him. And even when we look at the scriptures, right? For of him and through him and to him are all things. Place your faith in Christ. If you need to talk to somebody today, we'd be happy to sit down and talk with you more about what that means. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, even as David said, we're overwhelmed. We, we just, we look at this plan and, and as we said, there's, there seems to be all these moving parts and pieces and for you, it's, it's nothing. It's just simply what you set in place to show, to give testimony, to give evidence to individuals and even to the nations that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the chosen one. 
In the Old Testament, they looked ahead. We now look back. They looked ahead in faith to what they did not see. We look back in faith to what we did not see. Both were taking you at your word. And Father, as we do that today, I pray that you'll help us in our daily lives to, to know that, man, we're a part of this if we're your follower. And Father, if we're not, I pray that you will work in someone's life right now even as Jesus said, if they have this hunger and they have this thirst, if they're seeking, they will find. If they're truly seeking, they will find you. You're not going to cast them out. So, Lord, I pray that you will move. In Jesus' name, amen.